This Week on One on One. I never grew up with a silver spoon. And so everything that I've, I've kind of gotten, it's because I worked hard. And I want our guys to do the same thing. Kevin Keats, a proven winner and leader, describes what prepared him for an exhilarating coaching career. When I went to Louisville, one of my first few practices with a Hall of Fame coach, the message that he sent, I don't hire assistant coaches. I hire future head coaches. Keats offers perspective on the life and legacy of the late John Thompson. Without a John Thompson, it's probably not a Kevin Keats. He's opened the doors for so many younger African-American coaches to have that opportunity. And where it all started for the Virginia Navy. My days at Hargrave Military Academy, it prepared me for everything that I may see moving forward as becoming a Division One head coach. Now, here's Kevin. Welcome to this week's episode of One on One, really special episode that I think everybody is going to enjoy. So thanks for listening. Have a great guest. It's Kevin Keats, NC State head men's basketball coach. He's been there for three seasons and He's done there what he's done everywhere. He's, he's won. NC State's had some success, and he obviously does this the right way, coaching. He does it with integrity. He does it with energy. So I was really excited to get Kevin on the show. He's got a, an exhilarating background, so it's a great conversation in store for you. But this is a special episode for another big reason. I welcome on for the first time. We've got a co-host on this thing. I welcome hey. on my friend Chris Patola, ESPN basketball analyst, Sirius XM host, social media influencer. Uh, I mean, look, Chris, you've got a lot on your plate. You do a lot. <laughs> I know this was a lifelong dream of yours to be on the podcast, which is strange. This podcast is only a month and a half old, but uh, I'm glad we were able to work it out. And uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you here. Welcome, my friend. Well, I begged you long enough to get on. You finally acquiesced. Um, I, I think you felt like you had to at one point, but uh, man, you and I go way back, brother. In, in a broadcasting uh, lifetime, which runs in short intervals, uh, you and I, my friend, go way back doing our SEC package together, and uh, you're one of the best. So it's, uh, it's a pleasure to sit and just kind of observe you as a part of this thing here today. <laughs> well, are you kidding me? The feeling is mutual. That's right. <laughs> I, I think one of the first games I called, and I was like a kid straight out of college, was with you. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I think you wanted to rip my head off at some point, but you're right. It was maybe my second year. We did a, a package together and it was a blast, man. I, I learned so much from you then. I obviously have learned quite a bit from you since to this day. So no, this, this is going to be fun. Obviously I've, I've kind of sabotaged the name here. It's no, it's, it's no longer one-on-one today. We're going to kind of two on one fast break with we got to get bigger kev you got to get bigger man you got to grow you're growing here well right in my uh, when i look back at my business ventures uh, i'll make sure not to kind of shoehorn myself when, when i process this and make future decisions i'll look back on this one but how the heck have you been how's the summer and if and if that answer includes TikToking, please go into that in, in excruciating detail well, I have created an, an alter ego, uh, absolutely, uh, a TikTok alter ego. You know, it's, it's, been, it's been interesting, Kevin. I, you know, when it first happened, as I'm sure you went through, I, I was doing the Big 12 tournament, and it all shut down, and uh, our boss, David Seisler, told us all to fly home. You know, at the end of a season, at least for an analyst, you play-by-play you -play guys end up doing other work. But for, for us, it's kind of the end of that section of your – your broadcasting year, I should say. And I was welcoming of quarantine. You know, are, are you kidding? I get to be at home and my kids are going to be here with me. I have three kids and get to spend all day, every day with them. So the novelty of it at first was, was welcoming uh, and refreshing and, and was, was really cool. Uh, I will say five to six months later, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ready to sort of move, get on our way here, but, um, but it's been good. It's good to have family. It's good to have friends. It's uh you know, I wish we had handled this, this pandemic a little bit better than we have, but I can't complain, my friend. I cannot wait to dive into our conversation with Keats, but Chris Spitzola, I, I mean, I know some of your past. You were born in New York, right? Long Island, if I, if I remember correctly. Played for your dad, right, in high school. Yep. You have this great career at Army. Of course, you, you served our country. You were, you were a captain at Army, and you were a captain in the Army as well. Coached at Duke. You work for ESPN now. You look back at your journey, what's most gratifying about it? Wow, it's a great question because um, they've all been very different. Uh, you know, I never expected, Kevin, to, to go to West Point. 
I, I wouldn't tell you that while I was there, I thought it was going to be a gratifying experience and it wasn't, uh, you know, I'm always honest about it. I hated every day I was there. Uh, but I'll tell you what, being from there has been one of the greatest things in my life and, and the lessons that I've learned. You know, when I made the decision to go there, this was pre 9-11, so the, the military wasn't a military at war. 9-11 uh, happened my senior year, which then ultimately changed what my active duty Army career was going to look like. Never expected I would deploy to combat. Uh, ended up doing that. That was life-changing. Um, life-altering, eye-opening. Didn't know if I wanted to be a coach, but Coach K offered me the opportunity to join his staff. It was amazing. You know, we won a national championship in 2010. Life-altering, life-changing. But, you know, look, I, I, I've done a lot of things in my life career-wise by my gut. Coaching wasn't necessarily, I mean, you know, you look at your life five to ten years down the road. Coaching wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. Uh, decided to get out, do other things, broadcasting being one of them. I started out with CBS Sports Network and then uh, ultimately joined ESPN, which has been life-altering. So I've, I've, uh, they've all been different, a bunch of different stops along the way, but uh, it's, been an, it's been a crazy journey. And at ESPN, you cover the Big 12, you've covered the ACC quite a bit these last few years. We've got a great – like Kevin Keats is – He's got this like real enthusiasm. Like the guy's just always in a good mood. Like I admire that. I like it. When, when you think of Kevin and his teams, like how would you describe him and, and his team? He, he is magnetic. You can't help but root for him. There are certain people, and you know, you talk to coaches all the time. You know it when you see it. And, and, and with Kevin Keats, you know you've got a guy who's going to figure it out and is going to be successful. And I'm not just saying that because he's on the show today. Uh, he, is, he is just one of those guys who draws you in. Uh, his teams play hard. His teams are aggressive. They lean in, particularly on the defensive end, as, as you know. And he's going to get players. You know, he's going to get players. I think it's the, you know, NC State has not made very good hires over the last several iterations of head coaches. Kevin Keats was the right guy. And, and they, uh, you know, we know his success at Wilmington. So he didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, but he was a home run hire when they got him. We've got a great conversation with Kevin coming up, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention. So Kevin has actually said this over the years. Like, he's a funny guy. He does have, like, a, a magnetic personality, as you said. I feel like I could be a comedian if I wasn't a basketball coach. It just so happens that Chris and I are quite fond of good comedy and humor, especially when it relates to the, the Seinfeld and Larry David style of humor. So later... We will give you our top three George Costanza moments, our power rankings at the end of the show. I'm pumped. I am pumped. <laughs> Without further ado, let's get to Kevin Keats, our guest this week on One on One. Very pleased to welcome Kevin Keats to the show, NC State head men's basketball coach. He just finished up his third season in Raleigh. And, and coach, you've done there in, in a short amount of time what you've done everywhere, and that is win. Three straight 20-win seasons, all of the records and championships that you accumulated previously at UNC Wilmington is well-documented at this point. You, of course, were on that national championship-winning staff and team at Louisville back in 2013. So your, your coaching successes are obviously well-documented at this point, but I, I'm, I was pleased to, uh, to have you on the show. I always appreciate how you do your job. You do it with integrity. You do it with passion and energy. And I often share this. You every time I have an NC State game, Coach, you're, you're rarely ever not smiling. You've got like this positivity and joy that's that everybody sees. I've always appreciated yeah. that. So, well, obviously, wanted to have you on. It's good to see you. It's been a while, and thanks so much. Well, Kevin, it's, it's pretty. I appreciate you uh, saying those things, and um, you're right, man. I try to smile as much as I can. We got a lot of crazy stuff going on. It's going to be, you know, plenty of time for us to to frown a little bit and. Man, I, I'm honored to to be on with you two guys, man. Two sharp guys, two guys who, you know, value dressing and look good. I mean, so I'm good, man. I'm this is my world right here. I'm I'm looking at I think I told you guys, I'm looking at your background, man. Look like you guys are making a great living. I like that part about it. And, and just excited to be on. Hey, I can't speak for Chris, but I don't have the cherry blazer. I don't have that red blazer in my wardrobe. I don't have that. We can, we can get you one of those. I'm just not sure what you're going to wear. That's all. 
All right, Coach, you, you, you've mentioned this a few times this summer. There, there really has been no playbook for a summer like this. So what has been that most meaningful or, or impactful adjustment you've had to make in regards to running a basketball program this summer? Well, I, I think the biggest thing is that we've all, and not just me, coaches around the country, administrators, um, players, um, I think we've all had to be open-minded. Um, because our situation is completely different. Um, you think back to, to March 12th when we found out that our season was over and then shortly after that the NCAA wasn't going to happen. Nothing has been normal. Um, you know, everything's been different. We went automatically to Zoom and then going into the summer we've been doing Zoom and then finally I was fortunate enough to get my players back on campus where I could just see them. Um, you know, and, and, it's, and it's been a difficult time. But for the most part, I think you have to be ready to adjust to these situations. And we're still learning. I know that sounds crazy because it's five or six months later. But as you know, we're still learning and we're going to continue to learn. But uh, I'm excited that uh, I feel like our team and our players and our staff has really adapted to the situation. What's an example of that, the, the learning? I'm sure you've had many conversations with whether it's your family or coaching peers or players. What's something where you, you guys have kind of collectively said, all right, maybe we do this or maybe we do that? Yeah, you know, one of the – I think the biggest thing is that we, we went entirely online for academics. Um, you know, typically our guys will have some in-person classes and we may have one or two online classes. Um, We've had to go strictly with that. And by doing that, we wanted to maintain the integrity of the school and our guys to understand how important it is to take care of the academics and still meet with tutors and have conferences with our coaches and also be online and doing the right thing. And then, you know, I, I've got five incoming freshmen. Uh, once they graduated and everything was good from high school, you know, we had to take it to another level because I typically would have four or five weeks to work with them in summer one, uh, we didn't. So we were doing a lot of our stuff uh, over Zoom as far as chalk talk and making sure they pick up plays just so they wouldn't be so far behind. Kevin, I'm, I'm curious, because you've done this, your coaching thing the right way. I mean, you've been at almost every step along the process. And I, I'm curious how the non-basketball element to your job now and even when you were a head coach at Wilmington I'm sure the non-basketball related things are probably even bigger than they were at Wilmington um does that does that turn you off about the job you know I you I assume you got into this to be a basketball coach and there's a lot I think people don't realize there's a lot involved with being a coach at your level now that has nothing to do with X's and O's um what prepared you for that side of it and does it does it turn you off sometimes no. about the job yeah Chris that's a that's a great question you know I, I don't know that I got into it just for the basketball part of it um I like the excitement of helping guys get through any type of situation and so uh, you know I, I'll go back and you know this obviously having some military background you know uh my, my days at Hargrave Military Academy um and that was 10 years in two different stints actually it was 12 and it, it prepared me for everything that I may see moving forward as becoming a Division One head coach. Um, you know, I, I had to drive the bus. We had to wash the clothes. Um, you know, um, we did everything that you could imagine doing. But that stuff made me it, – it, it, it humbles you and understands that, yeah, I'm in a situation now where we're fortunate enough to take private planes, but that's not a situation that I came from. And so one of the things that we work for is we, we just work hard trying to build the entire man and letting guys know that the real life is not sometime what you get in college and how you're treated as a college athlete. And so one of the things that I've always talked about is if a kid leaves me and he's not academically stable um, and socially he's not ready to go into the world and the only thing that he got from our program is being a basketball player, then I think I failed as a coach. Um, because I want these guys to be a good father. I want them to, to be a good husband. I want them to be um, ambassadors around the community and do the right stuff. And so one of the things I've always told those guys is I kind of judge you, not just on your basketball. I know you can play. Um, I wouldn't recruit you. But what type of person are you? You know, how do you affect somebody else's life? 
do you give back if you've got a younger brother or sister? You know, what type of role model are you for those guys? And by me doing so, I think it's helped produce a lot of guys who are able to go out and make it in society. I'm glad you started to go into that. And I think that ties into something you have, you've said a lot. We, everybody kind of makes a, a, certainly makes a point about your, your introductory press conference at NC State. Hey, Kevin Keats is a winner. But yeah. you've elaborated on that over the years. It's, it's beyond just winning games. It's, you know, can we win recruiting battles? Can I set these players up for wins or success beyond basketball, you know, pertaining to what you just said there? I think that comes from your competitive spirit. Why do you have that? Where does that come from? Where was that kind of really competitive spirit born? Yeah, you know, um, I didn't. Uh, it's weird, uh, Kevin. You said when I said that at the press conference, I never knew that that would take off like that. Um, I've actually had to trademark that just to make sure, not to make money <laughs> off of it, just to make sure it didn't end up on the wrong products. Kevin Keats is a winner, if you know what I mean. I don't want it on things. Um, but I, I think it, it comes from my mother and father. Um, you know, they have been always hard workers. Uh, my, my dad was a, a masonry instructor uh, at Amherst County High School. I'm from Lynchburg, Virginia. And, um, you know, on the weekends, you know, he'd get me up at six o'clock in the morning and we would go and we would do masonry. And I was a laborer. Um, you know, I mixed the mortar. Uh, I bought the bricks. I bought the blocks. And those type of things has kind of helped me along the way just to stay humble and understand. I, I never grew up with a silver spoon. And so everything that I've, I've kind of gotten, it's because I worked hard. And I want our guys to do the same thing. It's a little tougher. I mean, my wife and I, we have this conversation all the time about our kids. Um, and we try to figure out, man, what can we peel, what can we pull back? Because at times we feel like, and I know you guys go through this also, you feel like you've given your children too much because you, you know, you're in a better situation than they were financially growing up. And then you got to find a, um, a mixture of what to give, what to pull back because you want them to grow up humble and understand how to appreciate things more. Yeah. Can you teach that? Like, I think every coach is looking for a guy who's a, a quote unquote winner. And I, at, it, for some guys it's innate. I, I wonder if you can, can teach that. Like who are the winners you've been around who, you know, perhaps developed that who are the natural winners that you've been around? Yeah, uh, Chris, God, man, I, you guys are you guys are making great questions and statement. Winners are hard and leaders are hard, especially with today's time. If you talk to any coach right now, they'll probably tell you that the leaders on the team is probably the coaching staff. Uh, and I think it starts with recruiting. You got to go out there. AAU has kind of changed the game a little bit. I, I really like AAU, but it's tough because a guy may play a game at nine o'clock and he lose, and then at eleven o'clock he lose, and and so I teach. I think it teaches them the wrong ways. Um, that being said, I try to find guys and identify guys who win state championships, guys who win in AAU, guys who are uh, great teammates when they come off the floor. Uh, it's been hard lately to find some guys who are competitors like that. Uh, if you ask for example, a guy who when I went to Louisville, I don't know that there was a better leader than Peyton Siva. Um, I mean, just tough, uh, mentally tough, could take coaching, um, but also understood how to play, how to get everybody involved. Um, he's probably one of the better ones that I've ever been around with the new age kids. Uh, I have to give him a lot of credit because he knew how to win. He knew how to motivate guys. He was a quarterback on the floor. Uh, he knew how, you know, we, he played alongside some really good players and Russ Smith and Gorgie Dang and Luke Hancock and, you know, what was special about him is he knew how to get everybody involved and make everybody play at a high level. Yeah. I remember him, uh, no doubt. He, of course, we've talked about that, that final Big East championship that, that Louisville wanted. He, Peyton Siva was, was personally responsible for dismantling my orange that night in <laughs> Madison Square Garden. So, but hold on. So let's, let's talk about that. When was the first time you, you spent three years at Louisville as an assistant? Yeah. Your reputation really grew there. When was the first time you met Rick Pitino? Well, he wouldn't remember this, um, but I was at Hargrave, and I ne it never came up when he hired me. Is um, I had a really good player um, named Lorenzo Wade that actually went to Louisville, 
And Coach don't remember this. We never talked about that. And so he came to my gym at Algrave and he recruited Lorenzo Wade. Um, when we went through the hiring process, I didn't mention Lorenzo, Lorenzo because I didn't know how their relationship went when they were there. Um, but that being said, that was probably the first time that I met him. Um, you know, came in and obviously he was very focused, knew what he wanted. Um, you know, as you know, he's a great coach and demanded the room. And we had a great talk during that time. And then, obviously, I was fortunate enough that when that job opened up, he and I met. And it's weird because we really never talked about basketball. We talked more about life. Um, you know, I learned a lot more about him through our conversations when we were talking about the job opposed to what we would do X and O wise. You know, and let me ask you this then, because of course you learned a lot and, and you've, you've documented this over the years that there were so many little details about coaching you learned there. But how about this one? Because Rick kind of demands a lot of his players and coaches. What, like, what's an example of a time where he, whether it was indirectly or directly, kind of challenged you to grow as a coach? Oh, yeah. Like, what, what's an example of that? Well, I'll give you an example. Um, when we first got there, I, I remember... I remember like it was yesterday. I think I was telling somebody the story the other day. And so we're in practice. Um, it was, we had an entirely new staff. Um, Richard Bettino, uh, Joaquin Jones, who Joaquin was the head coach at uh, Cal. And then obviously myself coming from the prep world. Well, Joaquin and I, we were very new. Richard obviously had been around his dad before. We're in practice and we have a great practice. I mean, unbelievable practice. Guys are playing hard. You know, they, they're getting after it. Um, and so we're excited out the practice. Like, man, we got a chance to be really good. So Coach, he summons for Y-King and myself to come to his office. And I'm saying, man, he's going to tell us, man, what a great team that we have. <laughs> and so we come up in there and, you know, we're feeling good. It's a great practice. And he really jumps into us. He gets on us pretty good. And, um, and we're like, well, what do we do? And basically, we were too quiet in practice. I'm not a quiet guy, but here it's one of my first few practices with a Hall of Fame coach. I'm going to listen. I'm going to learn. And, and basically, the message that he sent is, you know, he loves to tell you, don't stand around like a mannequin. The message that he sent to, to me was, I hired you to do a job. Uh, I want you to be vocal. You have been a head coach before. He, I have one rule is what he said is, if another coach, is just, another coach is talking, I don't want you to interfere, but I want you to coach. I want you to be a voice. And then the, the, he left it with this. Um, you know, I don't hire uh, assistant coaches. I hire future head coaches. And I, I thought that was great. From that point on, I think that helped me understand that, um, you know, he looked at, at, at me as more than just a guy who was going to recruit players, but he wanted the total package. And, you know, I was on a Zoom call with a, with a bunch of young coaches that are um, assistants right now, and the message that I told them is, you know, you don't want to work for anybody who's going to put you in a box. If they're going to label you as a recruiter or you are just this X and O guy, I think you have to be able to do everything. And I think what what I learned from him is to be well-rounded. Um, you got to scout. You got to be able to recruit. You got to be able to to develop, and um, I think that's where I grew as a coach. I came in with a lot of experience as a head coach, but understanding um, how hard you have to work, the attention to detail, uh, we scouted like no other, and uh, I think I learned a lot from that. The way you play, did you play that way at, at Hargrave, or, or how much of who you are now as a coach came from that experience? Yeah, Chris, uh, we played the way, and this is why I love the fact that I had the opportunity to go to Louisville, we played the exact same way. Uh, at Hargrave, I had, we were averaging about 10 Division I guys. And in order for me in 40 minutes to be able to get them to be seen by the college coaches, yeah. we would have to put five guys on the floor to play as hard as they can and press and then take them off the floor and then put five other guys in. And so we kind of, we, we had that philosophy uh, going in. When you look at some of the things we did at Louisville, um, I've added a couple press that we did at Louisville, even though we pressed at Hargrave. But most of us that um, with we're coach, we typically have our own offense. So my offense is kind of what I've developed over the years, just 
from Hargrave through Louisville, my days at Marshall, and, you know, stuff that I've learned throughout the years. But uh, it's a couple presses that, um, for example, the uh, 2 to one press that Coach Patino runs. It's a little different than most people would run, and that's one of the things I've taken from that program as far as the defense goes. You're outlining here just what that program meant to you, Hargrave. And we're talking about this this postgraduate military school smack dab in the middle of Virginia, not far from where you grew up. So you you've heard these names before, but yeah, the 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 number, the volume of players, but under you know, under you, I, I think this list begins kind of the, about the time you arrived uh, at, at Hargrave. The, the list of players that went on to play, you know, we're talking the NBA, not just college basketball, is, is pretty profound here. David West, Josh Howard, Maurice Spates, Sam Young, P.J. Harrison, Luke Hancock. Those guys had great college careers. I'm sure you probably helped recruit Montrez Harrell as well. Like, how did you do that? How, like, how did you build that consistently – because it kind of started right when you arrived. Yeah, we our, our reputation was our biggest deal. Um, you know, our, our sales pitch was: if you come here, we're gonna you're gonna leave out better than you came. Meaning, you know, some of the guys that we at the time at that time you could be a repeat senior, and some of those guys needed some academic work. Uh, then you had some guys, for example, a guy like Luke Hancock who was fully qualified had a you know, over a 3.0, but he just was in a place that he didn't get that much exposure from basketball. And then you had guys who needed both. And one of the things that we told those guys is when you come here, I want you to check your ego at the door. Uh, There are no superstars, but if we all work extremely hard, then you have an opportunity to play number one at college and then put yourself in a position to play in the NBA. You know, one of our guys, um, I know you guys, Joe, Joe Alexander, you know, he was one of he he played like a six or seven man backup role, and he was a lottery pick um, from West Virginia. And so we had so many success stories that came through. Uh, guys that we haven't talked about is still in the league, like a guy like Mike Scott. Uh, Mike Scott wasn't even fortunate enough to play on his A level AAU team, and he had a chance to make it. Luke Hancock is an unbelievable story. Um, you know, he had Division two offers coming out of high school, and he's the most outstanding player in the national championship game. So with so many guys, um, even though I felt like we taught those guys a lot, I learned so much from them. Um, And that's why I tell people when it comes to turning over roster, uh, I've had success because typically at Hargrave, we're used to having a new team every year. I would have 13 new guys every year. And so I'm used to teaching in that manner. An icon in not just college basketball, basketball passed away a few days ago. You know, on August 30th, it was John Thompson. You, you've talked a little about him this week. But what is the image or the uh, interaction or a game or a moment, something – when you hear John Thompson, where does your mind go? Well, I, I grew up in Virginia, so automatically I, I, I know about the Allen Iverson um, whole situation and with with uh, Coach Thompson and I think you know he handled it the right way you know when he had his couple troubles that he had at the bowling alley and you know most people would have turned their back on a young man and so that's just one story that I can relate to because obviously being from Virginia but you know without a John Thompson it's probably not a Kevin Keats um, and I say that because he's opened the doors for so many younger african-american coaches to have that opportunity i tell coaches all the time when i'm going recruiting or whatever i said you know i don't want you ever to give me a player that i don't work hard for um i want to put the work in but if i'm successful there's an opportunity for you possibly to see yourself in this type of situation um in the future and what john thompson has done for basketball in general has been um outstanding but when you think about every coach who's an African-American head coach, um, at some point we all looked up to John Thompson. And, and so sorry and sad to see him gone. We're going to definitely miss him. Uh, I have a great relationship with JT3 and, of course, Ronnie Thompson. And um, that family's been great for basketball. Yeah. You know, his, his – um... His pushes, his causes, Coach Thompson, away, you know, outside of, of the basketball are, are legendary. Um, and I wonder, 
especially given current events, what, what sense of responsibility you feel uh, towards having those conversations with your players and, and what, what the responsibility of a head coach is in respect to those types of off-court issues? Yeah, with, as, a, as an African-American head coach, I don't think necessarily that I've got to be, have to be the voice of everybody. But I think it's important that, number one, I show my players that I'm willing to fight for them. Uh, when we sit in their rooms and we sit in their living rooms and we talking to their families, you know, we're not just asking the families to give, up, give us um, their child for basketball. It's everything in life. And, you know, I, I'm a voice um, and I want to be a positive voice just for my kids, um, for my own two kids who are 16 and 12, but also for my players because um, I need to be a role model for them. And my role model is uh, I want to support them. I want to be able to listen. I want to be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And, um, you know, I always tell everybody, you know, I want, to, I want them to be able to look back and say, man, this is what my college coach would have done, um, you know, because they may be in that situation themselves. Uh, I think what's going on in the country, it's tough. Um, you know, I, when, it, when I was coming up, it was um, – you know, the unfortunate thing, I went through the Rodney King stuff. Um, and I've said a long time ago, some of the things that are happening now, it's a little surprising to me that they're still happening when we're in 2020. Uh, I've encouraged my guys to get out and vote. I think some people have taken that the wrong way. And what I mean by that is when I say go vote, I don't care who you vote for, but you have to exercise your right to vote. And I think that's important. You think about when we all were in college, uh, most guys are, they'll miss the rotation to vote because they're not old enough and then they'll graduate when they're in college. Or, you know, even when I was coming up in college, I never even thought about voting. So that's something that I think this generation can help make a difference um, in what's going on around the world. All right, Coach, I I've mentioned some of your prior stops in your coaching journey, not just at NC State, but UNC Wilmington. We've talked at depth here about Hargrave. Look at, I look at UNC Wilmington, I look at NC State, the years leading up to when you arrived. The, the contrast, of course, in success is different. Look, you won, you won so many games and championships at UNC Wilmington, and you've, you've won quite a bit at NC State already. How do you, how do you change mindsets effectively? And genuinely, how do you get the buy-in effectively and genuinely, you know, from players to do what you've done at those two places? Well, every coach has a, a choice to make um, when they take over a program. And one of the choices is, do you try to wait a year or two to put your system in? Or do you try to take the kids that's already on the roster and you say, you know what, they don't fit my system. In my case, I've decided to always go in and put my system in right away. And pretty much one of the, the secrets that I've had is we've gotten those guys in incredible shape. Though the teams that I may have inherited those first years, the first one or two years may not be as talented as the other teams in the league, uh, we're in great shape. And so a lot of time that keeps us in the game. Uh, the other thing is uh, I think coaches make a mistake when – you know, you take over a program and you say right away, these are not my guys. Well, they are because you took over a program. They're still in the program. You signed a contract. And so right away, I try to build a bond with the guys that's on the team. Uh, I, I try to get a bond where they trust me and I trust those guys. And, uh, you know, no matter where you go or whatever type of job you take, Players don't want to lose, so they've got winning in them. They didn't accidentally become Division One guys. And so what I try to do is pull out that winning part of them to get them back in that situation where they believe in themselves. What, you were a hot commodity uh, at Wilmington. I mean, you, you, were, you were going to be a next big hire for some place. Uh, why NC State? Well, Chris, it's um, – it's a great job, uh, tremendous fan base. It's a great location for me. Uh, I, I've said this before, even though I lived in Virginia, I really grew up as an NC State fan. I really did. I mean, 
you know, Virginia. Come on. Come on. No, you're saying no, that because you're not <laughs> No, I probably really? Now, I was a Ralph Sampson fan. Okay. But I never was into Virginia like that. I really like Ralph Sampson. Even to this day, I like Ralph Sampson. He's a good dude. And when you think about this, Virginia Tech was kind of like, I want to say Metro Atlantic 10. And so typically when you're a young kid, you, you go to the biggest schools and, you know, the ACC and all that stuff. And I'm not that far. We're about 215 from my home here. So I really grew up. And some of my players, when we first started at Hargrave, ended up coming to NC State. Lorenzo Brown was one of them. Did a tremendous job here. Um, but it's close to my family. Um, you know, my wife was very supportive. Um, both of our parents still live in Lynchburg, Virginia. It's a great place to uh, raise our kids. Our fan base is outstanding. I know sometimes they get a bad rap. Um, but at the end of the day, I love the competitiveness about it. It's, it has great tradition. It's a program that's won two national championships. Um, it's a program that I thought that we could be really successful, and I'm really excited that I took the job. Where did you watch Jim Valvano, you know, running around, right? Eight, early 80s. Were you watching that one I, live? Where I don't even – I couldn't tell you where it was. I, I, I don't life. know where I watched it, but I got, Derek, I got Derek Wittenberg still uh, working here, and he reminds me of that every other day, so you know. Yeah. He tells me about it every other day. When are you going to win a national champ? I was like, Derek, don't you think every coach that's been here want one? We want one. <laughs> He loves he loves talking about that that title. Yeah, that and, and I, I give him because he's gonna swear up and down. What a great pass! I was like, Derek, you've never had a positive assist turnover ratio. It wasn't a pass. <laughs> I said you you missed so short, and 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 luckily we got lucky in that situation. But no, that that Jim Valvano video is still powerful today. Um, just you know, you know what he did with that team, and and you look at that team. And you go back and look at the team. That team wasn't a team that people had picked to win. They had a lot of good things happen for them. And they had some guys that believe and they won a championship. Coach, I'll pick the number three. Anything more might be kind of excessive here. Three most influential people in your career or even just throughout your life. Who are they and why? Yeah, that's tough, man, because you're going to make me cut out a lot of people when you say three. Uh, <laughs> hey, I'm going the list can be as lengthy as you'd like it here. Yeah, but you just you just put me in a bad situation because I'm gonna get a couple calls once this thing shows, and everybody's gonna be like, "Well, you, you don't believe I'm influential." So number one, I'm gonna start with. Um, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna make them one together is my parents, um, my my family and parents, and I mean they've been so so supportive of me, and neither one of my my mother or father played athletics they wasn't involved but they were so supportive um you know I, I remember you know I, I was the high school quarterback also and the point guard on the basketball team and I can't remember a time that uh, they missed a game they were so involved even though they might not have known what was going on but they were very supportive and they've always raised me to work hard and earn everything that I've got and so I'll say number one on that um I'm going to – this is a little different than most people say uh, influential. I'm going to say um, my wife. And, and here's why I say that. Uh, I've been married for 20 years, and um, she's been great. She humbles me. She's never going to let me think that I'm better than I am. She loves me. She does a great, tremendous job with my kids. Uh, I don't give her enough credit for what she does. Uh, it's tough being a coach's wife, as you guys know. Um, so very supportive. I'm grateful. I wouldn't be here at NC State if it wasn't for the support that she's put into our family and, and making sure that the house would run the right way, even when I'm out doing what I'm doing, trying to, you know, uh, have a career in basketball. And then there's so many coaches, of course. Uh, you know, I, I've talked about Rick Pitino. You, you, you guys know um, not only me, just what he's done for a lot of coaches that have worked under him and will continue to do. And then I've got a high school coach, um, my football coach named John Walker, uh, who has been so influential over the years. I learned from him. Um, wasn't a man of many words. Uh, he was just direct. He was a very good football coach. Um, I've never told him this, but I've always admired him as a man and a person of the way he handled things, you know, 
you know, just in daily life. So he's been one of them. Uh, I work for a guy at Marshall uh, named Greg White, uh, who is an unbelievable man, a uh, great Christian man. If you guys haven't seen him, he'll spin the ball anywhere you want to on your hand. So, but it's so many people. I don't want to leave. A, I, and, and for those who I left out, I want to uh, thank you. Uh, and I didn't mean to leave you out intentionally, just so you know that. <laughs> what does, uh, I want to become as smart as you. So, so what do you do to broaden your mind outside of, of basketball? Are you a book reader? Are you a podcast guy? Documentaries? What do you do? No, I'm not a book reader. I need to get better at that. Um, but here lately, what I've done is um, I'm a big fan of the game. And so I, I, look, I, I turn on the TV and I look for games. I don't care what type of games they are. I really like NBA. I'm into NBA now. It's, a, it's so weird. It's almost like I'm, this is the first time I'm really learning about the NBA. And I know that sounds crazy. But when I watch games now, I watch them and I look at them at a different lens. I mean, those guys in the league are so skilled. Like, and I knew that because they're pros. But now that I watch, and, and I guess because they've been in the bubble and I haven't had a chance to watch, uh, when we say we're the best basketball in the, in the world, it's the best basketball in the world. These guys are skilled. They're very talented. Uh, the other thing, Chris, I do, I, I've decided um, – since probably March, I try to walk anywhere from five to 10 miles a day. Oh, I try to get about five in the morning and then five late in the afternoon. And when I don't get that five or 10 miles, I'm kind of whacked out. It's like a weird day for me. Uh, but during that time, I walk, I clear my mind. I've ha I have a chance to think. Sometime I'll do recruiting. Uh, sometime I'm talking to assistant coaches and everything else. Um, but I do more of that stuff than anything. That's where I, I typically do all my thinking at what's the, what are the routes or how many are we doing like five miles in the morning, five miles in the afternoon? Is it like three different trips? What's the, what's the route? Well, no, Kev, it's, it's two trips and I try to get five in the morning and five in the evening. And sometimes, man, I, I fall short on it. I'm, I don't, I, I don't worry if you guys look at me, I don't wear any type of jewelry. So my wife's bought me a, a Fitbit that I won't wear. Um, so everything that it's recorded, I have an app called Pacer on my phone. And it stays in my pocket and I pray that it's right because I go by it. It tells me that I, it tells me how many steps I'm getting and how many miles I'm walking per day. The, the, the step wars. Steps are a commodity these days. Those those debates between people and who's got more steps. Right. Like that's that's a big one. Coach, you, you've got to you've got to roll in a couple minutes here. I want to finish up on on uh, on these last two notes then. So you referenced just the game of basketball. Who is a, who is the player in, in the league right now who leaves you in awe? or who you really admire watching? So you're trying to start an argument again with among my <laughs> players because that's, you know, you know that, that my players are going to say, golly, coach, you could have said so-and-so. You know, look, LeBron James is, is really good, and I'm going to stick with that. I mean, he is so talented. Um, and, and, and what makes him really good and what makes all of the greats so good is because most of the guys that you see that are really some of the best players that ever played a game, majority of those guys came in. And um, like, for example, Kobe and the LeBrons, they were more athlete than player at the time. But when you look how over the years they changed their game and, you know, now they can score at all three different levels. Uh, I'm going to go with LeBron. I, I like his skill level. I like the fact that he can bring the ball up the court. He can run an offense. Uh, I don't know that we've seen anybody that size that can pass the ball as well since Magic. Uh, and so I'm going to go with LeBron. I'm going to say LeBron. My kids are probably going to kill me, uh, you know, because we're going to have a big debate about it. But it's hard to argue what the man has done in the league. Coach, have you played more ping pong this summer than ever before? No, less. Um, as a matter of fact, I lost to my 16-year-old for the first time. And I guess if I'm going to lose a game, at least it can be to your uh, son. Ow. Well, Ow. And I, look, Kev, I don't want to take away from his performance, but you think about this now. We were playing a game, and I was going halfway, and he got to 16, and I couldn't come back. And, and he started playing well. When he got to 16, he got to 21 before you, before you knew it. And um, – he throws the paddle down. He yells loud. My wife's like, what's going on? 
and he's like, this is what I do. Like, what do you mean, this is what I do? You've never won a game before. This is what I do? I'm like, you serious? I love it. Right, right. And, he, and he's hiding from me, Kev. Typical kid. He doesn't want to play again because he, wanted, he wants to live on that. I tweeted it out because I wanted to be the first to say it because I wanted to control the narrative because I knew if he tweeted it out, he was going to say something different, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're never you're never getting on 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 that schedule again. I, I don't know if he's ever scheduling uh, a, a dad I ever get. Kevin Keats, listen, you've been this has been great. This has been a lot of fun, Coach. It's a, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. You got so much uh, so much perspective and inspiration, obviously, to ch- uh, share all the time. So thanks so much for carving out some time to do this. Man, listen, thank you guys, and look, we will get back to. Uh, things being normal soon and I look forward to seeing y'all on the sideline guys and thanks for all you do for basketball and just I really appreciate you guys great stuff from Kevin as we expected I, yeah like Chris you alluded to this before our conversation he's, he's he's like he's the right guy for this position I think everybody just heard why yeah he, he's his perspective is refreshing he's honest um, you know one of the things that struck me he, he has been I love guys who have paid their dues guys who have seen every step along the way to me they become they're more prepared to be a head coach when that opportunity presents itself and you know our com our talk about his time with Rick Pitino and at Louisville and the, the transition from Hargrave to college that to me, that was incredibly enlightening about his journey. So we, uh, we pay our dues here. We, we obviously keep our word as well. Our, our power rankings, the top three, I thought five would be a little excessive here. Let's just go three. Uh, top, top three, George Costanza moments. Chris Spatola, number three on your list. Kick it off. Number three on my list is, because um, I, I feel this way sometimes, is when George Costanza does the opposite of what his instincts tell him to do. If every inclination I have ends up being wrong, then the opposite must be right. And so he ends up going against every thought, every instinct that he has. The premise of that is so perfectly Costanza. That whole storyline it has to be on my list, no question. Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, it's up and wrong. <laughs> Everyone. Tuna on toast, coleslaw, cup of coffee. Yeah. No, 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 wait a minute. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. <laughs> I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad on rye, <laughs> untoasted, with a side of potato salad, and a cup of tea. <laughs> I'm going with, I, this one may be kind of an obscure one, the candy lineup. His battle with the Twix candy bar at the car dealership. Uh, He's accusing a meddling uh, mechanic to, to he stole his candy bar because it didn't quite fall out of the machine. The mechanic then, you know, puts his coins in shortly after, gets a double dose of Twix. He puts out a candy lineup without the, they've been de-wrappered. He wanted to test the mechanic to see if he could select the Twix out of the lineup and, and kind of the band of nitwit, co-workers ended up just thinking it was like a bunch of free candy ate it all his plan is foiled he's yelling enraged george it's a classic i love it number two Uh, number two for me so kramer ends up running off to la so they ended up filming a couple episodes in la but before they leave george costanza comes into jerry's apartment with six suitcases and of course jerry says who are you diana ross and he says you may not know this about me but I dress by mood. I, the, the many moods of George Costanza. And so he's packed to be able to dress by mood. And Jerry asks him, he says, well, what do you call this outfit? He says, this is morning mist. So often when we're going on a trip, my wife will say, what are you, what are you packing? What are, I say, I, I dress by mood. I pack by mood. This is morning mist. <laughs> listen, listen, everybody should know at this point, Chris Fatola. Man of many moods. You got to get the outfit right. <laughs> Terrific. The incorporation of just bringing it into your real life makes it. Yes. That gives it that. That makes it that much better. My number two is your number three. I went with the opposite. The scene that gets me every time is when, of course, by doing the opposite, George finally, who was previously unemployed, living with his parents, gets the beautiful girl. He gets the job with the Yankees after basically offending George Steinbrenner, but. They're in the car, he and his, his new girlfriend, they're driving, and he gets cut off by a rabid driver. 
it easy. Take it easy. That's not the end of the world. It, it, it's a complete 180 pivot from the from the typical George, who would, of course, would be screaming, yelling, speeding, so on and so forth. That line, uh, I die every time. Who are you, George Costanza? I'm the opposite of every guy you've ever met. Yeah, fantastic. Number one on your list, what you got? This was easily number one. This whole storyline, when Keith Hernandez enters the Seinfeld equation, the, the Vandalay Industries, when George is trying to gain, uh, to, to earn unemployment, and he has to prove that he's looking, actively looking for a job and that he has a bite from this fictional Vandalay Industries, and he's trying to get Jerry to be complicit in the ruse and says somebody's going to call. He gives the unemployment office Jerry's phone number, and he tells Jerry, when she calls, you have to answer the phone saying, Vandalay Industries. <laughs> and he ends up, the whole thing ends up blowing up in his face. He wants, to, he wants to be the latex salesman at Vandalay Industries. It ends up blowing up in his face. He ends up having to sprint to Jerry's apartment. He's laid out on the floor, his rear end showing, showing to uh, Jerry, and Jerry says, shaking his head in disgust. And you want to be my latex salesman. Like, that's a, bo that's a bona fide, like, top ten line in the show's history. Here is my number one. So we were, we were uh, uh, wondering if we would, where we would match. We have matched on one, and that's it. My number one is Physics 101 with the New York Yankees. Uh, it's, it's a classic <laughs> It's a classic line. So George in this episode, I'll just put it this way, has kind of sworn off the, the temptations of people are typically faced with. Uh, his brain is rendered fully functioning for the first time in his life. He's reading calculus textbooks, solving Rubik's Cubes. Yeah. And of course, he works at the Yankees. So he's down in the field taking BP with Derek Jeter and Bernie Williams, who appeared in this episode. Pretty awesome that that happened anyway. And he's just smashing home runs. Remember, the short, stocky, slow-witted bolt man, is, you know, he's hitting home run after home run. And he's trying, he's trying to explain to the Hall of Famers, this isn't that hard, to, right. to which Derek Jeter responds. Hey, we won the World Series in six games. <laughs> as, if, as if winning the World Series, as if you didn't sweep that was the only achievement worth any praise, according to George. That, that one to me, like that line, that 30 seconds, just the best. Classic. Yeah, the best. The best. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. Nicely done. Hey, man, this has been fun. I can't thank you enough for joining. I, I know we were, we were concocting this plan a little while back. I'm glad it uh, finally came to fruition here. So thanks, man. It's been fun. It's my, it's all my pleasure, Kevin. You are, uh, I meant it when I said it at the top, you are one of the best in the biz. I always enjoy my time with you. So, uh, so thank you for having me. So go follow Chris on Instagram at the Chris Spatola. Also follow Kevin Keats. He is coach Keats NCSU on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to follow me, it's at Kevin T Fitz on Twitter as well. So for Chris and Kevin, I'm Kevin saying thanks again for listening to One on One.